Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Uh, welcome to Homo Superior's Creator Crush series. I'm Brent Wingate, who you all know as the podcast resident bad boy. And joining me today is someone who needs no and gets no introduction. It's Adam Kasari. Say hi, Adam. Hello. Everyone knows me. Uh, so Creator Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts on the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Uh, hot off of getting to meet them in person at FlameCon, today we're joined by the critically acclaimed writer of comic books and novels, as well as a New York City resident, Ben Kahn. Hi, Ben. Hey, thank you so much for having me. For a quick second, I was worried I was going to be the one not getting an intro. And I'm like, oh, no, they don't know who the fuck I am. Yeah. Like, I, please do give me an intro. It's the only interview where you, the guest, has to interview the host. <laughs> it's so Ben has been writing for over a decade and has worked with a variety of publishers, including Scout Comics, Dark Horse Comics, Z2 Comics, and Scholastic. Their notable work includes the Ignatz Award-nominated series Heavenly Blues, Renegade Rule, Griffin, Galaxy's Most Wanted, Shaman, and the graphic novel tie-in to Ubisoft's Immortals, Phoenix Rising. Their upcoming releases include their prose debut, L. Campbell Wins Their Weekend, coming out this year on October 17th, uh, so buy it wherever books are sold. Uh, when not writing, Ben co-hosts the horror movie podcast, Progressively Horrified, with creator crush alum Jeremy Whitley, and is also a cat parent to what we assume is an extremely snuggable and huggable kitty. Is that true? Oh, he's so snuggable. What is your cat's he's, name? His name is Blargy, and he's my big orange teddy bear. Oh, uh, does he have big orange cat energy uh, going crazy and attacking at random times? No, he's just a big old cuddly. That, that bit, I don't the orange cat energy is a is that real because i thought i saw a tweet about that recently. Like, i think it's the same thing that people do with like pit bulls or any animal that some stereotype develops and then people just see it in he's that animal just, he's just a big creamsicle marshmallow pillow who likes belly rubs <laughs> uh so uh ben thank you so much for joining us today uh before we dive into any real questions how often do you get star trek references to your name Oh, uh, I'd say at least once a convention, I have my own last name screamed into my own face. <laughs> it's very refreshing. Always wakes me up on a tiring Sunday morning. Gosh, did that happen at FlameCon? We, thankfully, we did not do that. We wanted to. <laughs> we're, we're hacks enough. <laughs> at FlameCon, they do, but then they add a parenthesis, like specifically when Zachary Quinto yells it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So first, we want to start with uh, some of your secret origins. Uh, how did you get into writing and uh, writing comics specifically? So my secret origins issue zero would be as a high schooler, I made a web comic that was like a sprite comic using stolen graphics from the Kingdom Hearts Game Boy Advance game. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. And, you know, it was... Look, the humor is aged exactly as well as you'd think, like a teenager's <laughs> sprite com edgelord sprite comic in the mid two thousands would age. Uh, like, were you using the Kingdom Hearts? Like, were you writing as the Kingdom Hearts characters, or just using them as like stand-ins for whatever story you wanted? To no, he's actually continuing just, the story of Dallas. <laughs> 
honestly, it was much closer to the story of Dallas than the story of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> no, this was just straight up like, I'll take your names. I'll steal all these nice spreadsheets you got. I'm going off and doing my own thing now. Wow. And I did that for, oh, about seven years and 700 strips. Um, it was silly. It was nonsense. Don't go looking it up, but it was a lot of fun <laughs> and it definitely taught me a lot about writing and making the comics and sticking with a project uh, over the long term. Have you ever and gone then, back and tried to look at any of those and see if there was anything in there that you thought, you know what, that was actually okay? My average reaction when I go back and look at one of those old strips is I go back and I really go like, oh my God, <laughs> who wrote this? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh no! So, how did you uh, get into horror then? Uh, so I was not a horror person at all. But then uh, my good old buddy Jeremy Whitley was like, "Hey, have you ever seen Jennifer's Body?" I'm like, "No," but I've always meant to. I hear great things, and he was like want to go watch it and then talk about it and we can record us talking about uh jennifer's body and i said sure and they said hey want to do this every single week for the next <laughs> number of years and i said yeah sure and now fast forward some 170 episodes or whatever later and Amazing. uh here sure. we are i went from a person that would see a horror movie and go Maybe I'll look up the Wikipedia article and see what that deal was about. Yeah. Do I now watch pretty much nothing but fucking horror movies? Really I have so many horror movies crammed in my brain <laughs> and all for this podcast. I I was a person who watched no horror movies. I started a podcast and now all I fucking watch is superhero mo is uh horror movies. Do you feel like there's any type of horror that you lean to that you like more than others, like camp or body horror? So I was that I'm always a uh, horror comedy person. Those are the kinds I watched, you know, before I became podcast person was, you know, I watched uh, Shaun of the Dead, yeah. Evil Dead 2, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Like the ones, you know, I love the Treehouse of Horror Halloween specials, mm -hmm. any good, you know, any cartoons, any good Halloween specials, mm. you know, go watching like shit like Hocus Pocus and Ernest, uh, Ernest gets scared, Halloween, something, something. <laughs> so Ernest, like, Ernest has a bad dream. <laughs> yeah, I was. So I've always been drawn to like stuff that was very much like the trappings and the aesthetics of Halloween, but always being very comedy or horror satire. I'm actually very impressed that both of your journeys for podcasting seem very similar. So you've literally only started doing X-Men comics, Brent, because we told you to read them and then just start showing up and talking about them. Well, yeah, because I'm I'm not even supposed to be on the podcast. I just had some sound equipment. And so I wouldn't shut up while they were recording. And now I've been doing it for six years. And we'll be doing uh, Progressively Horrified, uh, and I'm also not a huge consumer of horror movies until Adam. So basically every moment in my life has just been something someone else suggested I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure that is how culture works. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we're good on that. There we go. Well, and it's a good segue into our expertise section. So, you know, before we get into your work, um, we are an X and MCU based podcast. 
So we do yes. need to poke around a little bit and get a sense of your own connection with Marvel's favorite chosen family. So if you had to describe your connection to X-Men in one word or phrase, what would it be? Yeah, one word or fewer. <laughs> uh, goth rogue X-Men evolutions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, talk about- Greatest character about. design of all time. <laughs> Give it, yeah. Give us your, I guess, your origin story on just X Men in general. Like, where, what's big to you? What stuck out to you? What stayed with you? I mean, I was, um, I grew up right in that perfect time where it was like, yo, Batman the animated series, Spider Man the animated series, X Men the animated series. So that was very much, uh, you know, the earliest was X Men the animated series. So you know that hammered in some like very core foundational tenets of the X-Men in me from a very young age. Like, holy shit, this theme song slaps. Yeah. <laughs> Wolverine's the coolest. Fucking don't be alone in a room with Gambit. <laughs> oh my, <God>. um, <laughs> my favorite thing, like, growing up, my favorite thing watching X-Men the Animated Series was, especially because they'd always have that, like, previously on x-men yes. and then it'd be like a bunch of absolutely insane plot developments was i'd watch as a kid and be like oh fuck i must have missed like 20 episodes of yeah. plot in between <laughs> like like i must be like halfway through season like three or four or something there's so much plot and then, like, I go back and I watch it as an adult. I'm like, this was episode five? Yeah. <laughs> it moves that, like, all right, even in the first season, it moved, we're rewatching it for the podcast. It really does move like lightning. There's, like, so much going on in every episode for 22 minutes. Um, well, it's also like, oh, sorry. There's an incredible moment where Mystique shows up to Rogue and shapeshifts into Rogue's mom, and Rogue's response isn't oh here is the shape-shifting villain i know of shape-shifting <laughs> in my loved one clearly mystique has always been my mother who yeah. has been shape-shifted into my mother my entire life and she's fucking right she's up correct. <laughs> those those previously ons like the point of a previously on is to like key you in to like a story you've got to tell a mini story with those prior elements but they're so fucking chaotic it's like why did i need to know that banshee went and got a sandwich from the fridge <laughs> why is beast quoting shakespeare again that doesn't help me learn anything about what's going on right now uh so that was my first you know experience into uh, x-men and then the movies came out like you know 2000 the first one and i remember being in the theater seeing like a poster for the x-men movie and just go like i'm sorry what is this oh, stop, mom dad hold the fuck on like stop stop for a fucking minute what is this like is it the, the thing the one with the, the claw hands and the laser vision and the, the storm who's always being very camp and dramatic like they're gonna be on screen big screen like that was unfathomable like again just how much the world has changed where it's just like an endless barrage of superhero movies versus this time when without hitting a, a failing property of these things. yeah and we're we're annoyed to get them now it's just another jesus christ who the who is this character i've never heard of them what it's like when you get like a like uh the coupons in the mail yeah it's like you, a superhero movie comes out and you're like 
Fuck it. Like Shazam 2. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> uh, so if there are any uh, Marvel properties, X-related or otherwise, uh, that you could write, which ones would you would you want to go at? Uh, you know, being a non-binary writer, I definitely feel a lot of affinity towards Loki. Mm. And they're, you know, just in all of their, you know, especially being a non-binary person who loves trickster characters, uh, you know, especially morally conflicted trickster characters, a la John Constantine. So, you know, Norse trickster queerness, like wisecracking is just right up my alley. Um, you know, I feel like there's some really fun stories to be told with characters like Hulk and all that. But when it comes to the X-Men, uh, I just like my favorite's Nightcrawler. I absolutely love Nightcrawler. Yeah. I just think that, you know, the strength to in the fa- to radiate joy in the face of adversity mm. more than any other character, I think just embodies the themes of the franchise as a whole. Yeah, he definitely has that uh, happy warrior. Also, he died, and there was a story arc where they had to do a whole pirate One Piece style pirate ship battle in heaven <laughs> to bring him back, and that's just fucking dope. That's just comic books being amazing. Stand alone. Um, all right, well, that's our expertise section. We can jump into your work now. So we're going to kind of go through some of your titles. Uh, we want to start with Renegade Rule. Uh, which came out, I think, probably the most recently. Uh, can you give our listeners a pitch for this wonderfully queer, extremely nerdy story? Yes, uh, Renegade Rule, uh, yes, came out June 2021, is uh, our love letter to video games and queer friendship. Uh, and it's about an all-queer girl pro gaming team uh, fighting their way to become champions and win themselves the future they want in trying to make it to the championship of Renegade Rule, the hottest VR game around. Do you think that this, the book presents a unrealistic for a presentation of gaming because it features predominantly queer players that support each other, even if they're on opposing sides? I mean, like we know the world of gaming right now. Incredibly is- unrealistic portrayal <laughs> of the world of pro gaming. In no way realistic, and I give no fucks. I wanted, we wanted a world of pro gaming where queerness and gender identity were no barriers to success and joy and safety in the gaming space. Look, there are stories out there that to be told about that should that absolutely should be told that meaningfully explore the bigotry and discrimination in the pro gaming space. Somebody should tell that story. For this particular story, Rachel and myself, their co-writer, uh, we really want to tell a story where lesbians kick ass and make raunchy jokes with each other, and there's lots of lasers. Uh, well, speaking of uh, you know teaming up with uh, Rachel Silverstein, you know this is uh, a project where you're paired up with someone as opposed to flying solo for you know some of your pre- previous works. What's the comic process writing like? Uh, when you're working with uh, another person, was there any impediments or differences that uh, you learned from or you felt like uh, were better than, you know, having to do it all yourself? I mean, with Renegade Rule, like I said, so much is queer friendships and these queer friends hanging out. Uh, 
So that carried over into the creative process where it's me and Rachel side by side or in Zoom calls and trying to make each other laugh, coming up with like the coolest anime action shit we can think of <laughs> and just put it on there. So like hopefully like all of just like the hanging out with friends element carries over because that was right there in the DNA of its creation was friends hanging out, making each other laugh, writing a comic together. I do think it really, it really shows. I, I think of all the, the pieces we read for this creator crush, I, I loved the positive, like you were mentioning, right? It's like, there's always going to be these like different perspectives, different styles of story. And this being so unapologetically like nerdy and apologetically queer, I just really did enjoy seeing what would not be normally represented, I think, in like a larger than life mainstream comic or movie. So I just, I just love it. Like I thought it was really, really great. Yeah. Did that really well. Queer people deserve Seth Rogen style sci-fi action comedies too. <laughs> yeah, not every queer character needs to be a model human being or a villain. There are there are queer characters who forget the name of their best friend's boyfriend. Uh, you know, there are people who are just, you know, dumb sluts and they're happy to be dumb sluts. They're not evil for it. Uh, I, I'm here to bring dumb slut representation. To <laughs> thank God. You know, there's not enough out there for people. <laughs> That's really true. Though. Yeah, no. So I think of um, you had yeah, obviously the, oh, go ahead. More representation for the disaster queers who buy outfits they can't afford for parties and then return them the next day. <laughs> Well, we talk about this a lot too, and with many, I think, in uh, queer creators, is that like, I forget, I think it was C Fox, we talk a lot about like gay 101, 102, 201, like so much content, especially like sadly the ones that simply sell the most, maybe for younger audience, are always on like 101. So coming out, exploring themselves, like we're, we're missing that real big gap of content of people just living and being who they are and exactly that, like having ups, downs, lefts, rights, whatever. Um, so it's just really nice to see that that expansion of the ability to be able to get get this content out to to people and why we, we even have you on today. Um, yeah. It's I just, did want I mean, to talk yeah. a little bit about the, uh, so you've got like a bruiser, you've got a healer, you've got a sharpshooter, um, as well as the you know general leader, obviously there are these teams as, as you break it down. Is there a specific uh, role that you would want to play or play in gaming already when you play games or... If you played in this, you know, this this really cool universe. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that was one of our hopes with uh, the girls and their different roles and their approach to gaming was hopefully you see yourself in these and like, you know, you see yourself like, oh, this is how I play games or oh, my God, I totally know somebody that this is how they play games. So I definitely relate more to the person who's maybe more into the game's lore than the game itself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm someone who will watch like all the Overwatch, you know, back when Overwatch. I was just thinking about that. Probably, I am a big yeah. Overwatch movie person myself, too. I would like yeah, always I, watch all that stuff. Love all the over, like, you know, watch all the Overwatch uh, anime, like animations, read the comics, read fanfic. I haven't played a single round of the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like someone, cutting the story out so you're fine. They like recently got a whole fucking to do about that because they like jumped out the PvE stuff. It's been like five years later and they're still being like, oh, my God, the gorilla hit the button. Guess we better go see what that's about yeah. for five years. Oh, um, or, you know, like uh, Jesse, the sniper who spends more time just like fucking around. So seeing like poking at the corners of the game, 
you know, that person who just gets Grand Theft Auto and wants to be like, I want to see how much I can set on fire. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely got a lot of the same anxiety that Amanda, the team leader, has. Like, guys, are you paying attention to the game? Like, come on, we there's a villain. We've got to beat them. And if we don't beat them, then something bad happens. So, again, definitely trying to capture just that feeling of, like, long weekends spent playing video games with your friends. Yeah, like, we're definitely just trying to just, evo- again, trying to make it just, like, evoke a really positive experience while given letting a sports story be as textually gay as they are always subtextually. Well, speaking of uh, games, uh, you wrote a graphic novel for Immortals Phoenix Rising. Can you give us a quick elevator pitch uh, with the voice of what you assume an individual on the Greek pantheon would sound like? No, but don't sound like would... Russell Crowe because that's <laughs> that's racist. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm worried. I'm like, this, you're I'm like, mm, I do not have a good Greek accent under my belt. And I feel like this could back like this is going to be public. I feel like this could backfire on me real fast. All right. How about I do? Uh, let's see. The best I got is Scottish Irish. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to try to be no, that, yeah, I'll also go for something else. Maybe Athena or Aphrodite or Ares or Dionite. Like, just, you know, what do they think of the some of the folks and then just choose a, a voice out of that? Let that guide you versus the and, nationality. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure out the way to get you canceled. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the surprises was writing this game. Um, you know, because of production stuff like that, uh, the script needed to be turned in before a lot of the game's marketing started. So when one of the first gameplay trailers came out, uh, one of our surprises in my head when watching it was going like, oh, they went with like actual Greek accents for this. Hope that's going to read well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it, no, I think it, I think it was it was a wonderful book to work on. I had so much fun working on it, but. No, it was it was my first uh, work for hire experience. It was my first time working on, you know, a tie-in project. So, you know, it was definitely being like, okay, what materials do I have to work with? Like, I had, you know, I they gave me uh, the game script to work with, so I had all of the dialogue. So I really got to experience the characters' voices, even without having like the full game released beforehand. So, uh, it was a really great experience, you know. We had uh, some really great story meetings where we sat down and I, cause I went into it not knowing like, is this going to be a retelling of the game? Is this going to be a side story? Uh, so it was really fun when they, um, you know, when we worked out the story that takes place after the end of the game and really got to chart the next chapter in uh, the main character Phoenix's story. And, you know, it's so some spoilers uh, for the game, but the, the comic takes place after the ending of the game game and after i was DLC. wondering about that having not played the game i was like is this either right at the beginning or like he's like yeah the next kind of phase of work yeah that's yeah that's uh so yeah that was fun was getting to kind of take all these twists that were in the game's ending with uh spoilers uh phoenix you know spoilers i'll, I'll spoil the game but i'll try not to you should have played this game right because i don't even know if they're making a second one i think it, they're not as far as i know i think they were like it didn't make the the move forward. And it's based off of Greek history. So obviously spoilers read a book. <laughs> yeah. So after um Phoenix is revealed to be a Greek goddess herself, because what's Greek mythology without Zeus getting getting around? <laughs> um 
so you know that was a lot of the ending so it was very fun getting to be getting to actually then tell the story that actually explored the new status quo and how phoenix felt about her new powers and station with it so it was really fun getting to take all this really fun storytelling ground that was left unexplored at the end and get to explore some of that so it really is uh you know it's phoenix adjusting to her new life as a god uh when an unknown rumbling seems to threaten her old mortal home uh she's got to rush down and go on a big adventure with her got with her parents including zeus uh you know beat up a big monster and really learn how to be both a good god and a good person when I, I felt like the book had, you know, very clearly still your signature dialogue, your humor, uh, but obviously this is working in a much more preconceived or focused notion from what I assume to be somewhat a cor- giant corporate organization. Um, like, how did you balance that? How was that? How did that go for you? You know, what's the process like in terms of taking that property and, and writing with your own voice and style still um, intact? Uh, well, yeah, like I said, this is my first time getting to work on something like this, getting to work on, you know, someone else's sandbox as much as I've grown up absolutely loving Greek mythology. You know, I feel like my entire career in writing likable, likable douchebags was just uh, preparation <laughs> to one day write Zeus, the, the ultimate lovable dick bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, so I was I want to be very respectful of the property i i definitely did the last thing i wanted was fans of the game going into this comic and being like what the hell this is nothing like the game right these characters don't sound the same like so i really wanted someone who i really wanted to make sure that someone went to this comic being like hey i love the game i love the characters i want more of the characters i want more of the story came out still feeling like these are the characters in the world they know so like that was that was definitely at the forefront. But then also, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the world of Phoenix Rising is such a is such a take on Greek mythology that's already full of such fun, witty banter and opportunities for fun jokes. I felt like it was a pretty natural fit for my own sense of humor. And, uh, you know, the jokes that came naturally to me, I didn't really have to think about, like, ooh, does it fit this version of Greek mythology uh, I found it all just gelled really nicely with my natural uh, uh, comedy style. Did uh, did they like? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? Like, what was the process of even getting connected to something like this? Uh, yeah, so this was one where you know I worked with Dark Horse on Renegade Rule, and so uh, yeah, they approached uh, through my agent. They approached me. Um, you know, they had uh, this book that they were putting together, so. Uh, yeah, you know, I was very lucky and fortunate that they trusted me to work on this property. And it was, uh, like I said, my, as I've said many a time now, it was my first work for higher experience and it was a really fun in time. It was the really executives are like, we need to get someone to write a slutty kind of jerk. Damn it. Get me Ben Khan. <laughs> I've got my brand. No. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, uh, Griffin galaxy's most wanted, um, in 57 words or less, uh, give us an elevator pitch. Angry, violent, queer, Do you, takes down space fascism. <laughs> uh, pretty much he, Star Trek style humanity is taken to the stars. 
And uh, spoilers, we've been uh, pretty tyrannical dickbags about it because I started work on this after a certain 2016 election and was watching Star Trek shows and was like, the fuck us and going to space and meeting aliens is going to be a good thing. So I took my feelings of rage and powerlessness and I channeled it all into the most badass take no prisoners queer wrath personified fuck yeah of an action hero that I've ever created in Captain Lila Griffin, non-binary anarchist of the stars. <laughs> uh, the but devil yeah, but, of earth, which the they've never been earth. to. But it's good branding. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, pretty much, uh, you know, the sovereign reach, uh, the tyrannical human empire. Uh, Griffin was once their most loyal and fervent captain until something happened uh, out in the edge of space. And they came back a completely different person, determined to tear down the empire. Yeah. Apologies. Determined to dry, determined to tear down the empire. They once served, set everything ablaze, set the whole universe ablaze, if that's what it takes. And puts together a crew of rogue officers, mad scientists, and uh, holograms in order to fight fascism using the powers of science and violence. <laughs> that was 58 yeah, words. I'm sorry. Ah, damn it. I'm, I, <laughs> this podcast is now over. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, Ben. It's been great. Have a great day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, really, uh, what kind of drives this? Uh, you know, the story arc over this first three volumes is what exactly happened out there to Griffin, what made them the way they currently are now, and what happens once the secret is revealed. Are there any difficulties in trying to create a new universe that feels unique? Or, you know, as you went through this process, and you mentioned obviously being really focused on lore, how much uh, did you build around thinking about the universe that Griffin and the rest of the the crew kind of lived in um, versus how much you needed just for the story? Well, this is why having a good creative partner is so important. I knew that Bruno Hidalgo, who's my artist on Shaman, on Heavenly Blues, and on Griffin, I knew he was going to knock it back. I knew he was going to come out of fucking nowhere with an incredible aesthetic. And when he came back in with this lived-in, run-down spaceships, exposed pipes, this dirty, this down-and-dirty lived in like a uh, space world full of grime and dust where, you know, when people, ex- when people get hit, they fucking explode in bags full of blood and bone and organs. Like, <laughs> people sliced in half, got like heads getting fucking just obliterated. Um, you know, this very grungy, violent world. I knew I didn't really have to, given much more detailed i knew i just needed to give bruno the canvas and he would just paint a masterpiece i love it he i in general i know we'll talk about heavenly blues in a little bit i mean the it's a very like punk art style i feel like and it definitely i feel like in each of these titles especially compared to like phoenix rising or even renegade rule it was like such a distinctly more mature more like you know rated r type situation so was that definitely like... do do not bring your kitties to Griffin <laughs> <laughs> unless you want them to grow up cool. There you go, exactly. Like if you slid it over to your like eight year old sister, be like, you'll love it. Like just read it, but don't tell mom, kind of stuff. 
Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, that was meant to be queer rap personified this extreme id character where you know so much of superheroes or action is very uh reactive um you know trying to maintain a status quo so in griffin just being a character who's very proactive being like the status quo sucks let's burn it down that it was never a struggle to figure out like well how does the plot start the plot is Griffin finds some shit to wreck and then wrecks it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is, there's a, this is a little spoilery, but not, not too bad. Uh, there's a scene um, where Griffin and their engineer SETI are kind of talking about activism and their, their feeling that the consequences don't always align with the intentions uh, that you expected, but you kind of still have to accept whatever those consequences are. Those are part of the whole process. Um, what motivated you to include this scene? You know, was there anything that kind of prompted this more pensive moment in a pretty action-packed storyline? Yeah, so part of it was definitely trying to, you know, just cast Griffin's anti-fascism as something in a little more of a harsher light than, you know, your traditional Star Wars, like, we're the rebellion and oh, we're the good guys. Um, and, you know, that was especially an earlier story are kind of taking the piss out of traditional rebellions because, you know, you look at history and how many, you know, would be, you know, yesterday's freedom fighters or tomorrow's tyrants yeah. and just trying to, you know, Rambo, whichever number dedicated to our brave Mujahideen allies. Yeah. <laughs> um, for one for one historical example there um but yeah just trying to take a step back and just try to make it really clear that while griffin is like for all the violence and all the over the topness and that what they are fighting against is objectively beyond evil just because what they're fighting is objectively evil doesn't make them an objective good that they are in unpredictable fucking psychopath who is going around lighting planet-wide fires and then just fucking off yeah. to yeah. take no responsibility for the consequences. So that was partly me just being like, hey, let's call a spade of spade. Like, let's just be like, this character is who they are. Like, their crusade is full of fucking flaws and let's just confront those head-on rather than trying to shy away. Like, let's have this character confront who they are and accept who they and like and you know and show the what they what passes for them what like moral system they've adopted to accept what they need to do to continue this crusade that they're on you know win lose or draw well it's nice to see a story of rebellion where uh the protagonist they might be the protagonist but that doesn't mean that they're a hero and that you can't solve every problem by blowing up one space station and then dancing with a bunch of teddy bears. <laughs> that is not, that is not how real change is actually made. Yeah. And again, partly is trying to, again, take that narrative as being like, Oh, is rebellion is these traditional militarized rebellions, the best Avenue for change or society or historically speaking, do we see more change when, super rapid technological changes are introduced to a society um and how fucking uncontrollable those changes can be i mean again like griffin is not a you know i 
a hero. I think the word I the phrase I had them use was galactic galactic arsonist. Yeah. Like somebody like what currently exists is objectively terrible. And somebody needs to burn it down. And that'll be Griffin's part. And it'll be up to somebody else to figure out how to build something back better. But they, they're concerned they're concerning themselves with the first part and leaving somebody at leaving the rest to somebody else to figure out. Well, yeah, no, I appreciate that because I think too often, I mean, you've already described some of the historical examples where, right, just because somebody wants to take or shake up the status quo, there's a lot of people who just simply want to take down what exists and then don't necessarily, they shouldn't always be the people that are, that have the ideas for the next future. It's just simply great. Now it's open season. And I, I like the way, in terms of the book, like there's a lot more thoughtfulness around science. There's a lot more thoughtfulness in technology. Uh, I love what you described of like solving problems through that rather than just like we're the war victors so now we get to decide what happens or what should happen um it's a lot yeah. more of an open open book my hope is that someone goes away from griffin being like that fucking kicked ass hell yeah punching nazis from outer space hopefully some good laughs and then maybe after all, like that washes over you go like wait but that was some of that was kind of fucked up i think yeah. like, that's <laughs> Like that's what I want. Like that was the desired effect. Yeah, the uh, the the double back of like, wait a minute, what just what just happened? Uh, the the whole ethos of progressively horrified. <laughs> yeah, and again, that was being like, I am looking to provide a shitload of anti-fascist cathartic yeah. violence, but let's try to peel back some more layers than just your traditional, you know, like you said, Star Wars rebellion, good empire, bad, or empire very very bad, but let's maybe go a little, dig a little deeper than rebellion and good right well i do want to talk about the most serious question that we have from uh Gr reading griffin so griffin loves waffles but we need to know what you think pancakes waffles or french toast what is the correct ranking Ooh, i'll <laughs> tell you i make such a good fucking french toast i got this fucking bakery that makes a chocolate challah that i make this french toast mm -hmm. out of oh chocolate challah <laughs> mama <toast>. mia <laughs> I got to put that shit number one. Then I'm going waffles because you can put so much on waffles. Fucking cinnamon sugar, syrup, a berry compote, fucking chicken. You can't put fucking chicken. Who's having chi fried chicken with pancakes? pancakes? Fucking nobody. A psychopath. <laughs> that's who. <laughs> and, then I'm, and then I'm going pancakes on, on the bottom. Pancakes for bronze. So I'm going French toast, waffles, pancakes. I think that's fair. I also like that uh, it wasn't just French toast you put at the top, but your French toast. <laughs> yeah, specifically my French yeah. toast. <laughs> um, so uh, Heavenly Blues, we're going to have you do uh, another pitch for the book. But um, this time, can you uh, pretend molten gold is being poured down your throat while you pitch it? All right. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> 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 okay yeah Perfect. apologies to the editor on that yeah. uh, no heavenly blues uh sees the souls of deceased thieves from all throughout history teaming up uh to pull the ultimate heist on heaven and take redemption for themselves it is oceans 11 in the afterlife in a version of heaven and hell that is hopefully unlike any you've ever seen before uh with a cast uh pulled from all sorts of different historical eras for a real all-star thief team uh to kind of go for the 
uh, the heist of an afterlife time. I love it. Yes. And this, um, you know, this was one of another book that you did with Bruno. Um, this is also one of your first pieces, Following the Likes of uh, Shaman. Have you seen your writing style change and evolve? Have you created more work? Are there things you're more or less interested in exploring as you've, you know, continued your career? Uh, well, after Shaman and Heavenly Blues, which both dealt with themes of resurrection, I've at least stopped bringing dead people back to life quite so often. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, Heavenly Blues really was the evolution. I mean, that was such a big turning point for me. And my writing with Heavenly Blues was, you know, really trying to keep my core sense of style and my voice while really pushing myself to tackle this new genre, which, again, a high story where... I had to have it all meticulously planned. I had to know what each person's, each team member's role was in the heist, what they'd all be contributing in the finale, and then start working backwards across five issues to make sure everything was perfectly set up to then come crashing together in the last issue. Um, so it really challenged, you know, it was definitely kind of, you know, the first book, Shaman, I uh, hadn't been able to find a home for it with publishers. We'd done a Kickstarter for it. So Heavenly Blues was kind of me feeling like, well, hey, if I'm going to put it all again, like I got like if I'm going to try again to kind of get out there, get my name, show people what I can do. I got to put everything I got into it. Let's do heist. Let's do let's do of this fucking heaven and hell, which have been on my mind for forever. Let's get all these different historical periods I want to explore. We can do lost style flashbacks and <laughs> they're just going to be color coding for easier convenience. <laughs> And let's figure out the different cultures and architectural styles that are going to inspire heaven and hell to make them like the, them feel like real locations. Like let's go fucking all out. And uh, heavenly blues was really the result of that. Well, I think it really worked. Cause I mean, certainly reading it, I, I got very obviously any kind of heist movie and oceans love and feel, but like just in general, I think so much of your work is very team based and it's very, they all seem ready for, you know, a screen of some sort. So like, as you're writing these, are there intentions of like, hopefully things are getting picked up or like, just how do you process writing these stories? Cause I, I think a lot of them just have really good movie quality. If I'm just like, you know, I'm just. Like, oh yeah. There's definitely in the back of my mind, there's definitely a lot of these stories I'm thinking about different, sometimes actors or characters and stuff like that. Have you done any like uh, headcanon castings of like, what some of these people, particularly in Heavenly Blues, I feel like is probably the most, like what diverse kind of cast would you find for them? Oh yeah, so I would definitely do a Marsha Hala Ali as the star. Mm, love it. In that role. Um, is he busy? You know, I, is he doing anything? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I know Aaron Foley is a is a role that's got to be kept young, but I would say either uh, Daphne Keene or Bella Ramsey mm. would definitely be on my mind for L. Campbell. Uh, Sophia Patella for Amunet, the ancient Egyptian Tomb Raider. You know, um, man, probably um, Ken Watanabe is probably getting a little too old for some of the action. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good choice. Um, but, uh, oh, you know what? Actually, you know what? Who would be fucking incredible for that? Um, let me look at what the guy who just played Scorpion in the Mortal Kombat movie. Um, yeah. I, forgot, I don't know his name either, but I'm, I'm, you could definitely, that'd be a good like jump cast over some, there's going to be a few people from Mortal Kombat. Hi Hiroyuki Sonata. That would be yeah. my pick. Yeah. That, that's my new pick is Hiroyuki Sonata. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yes. 
That's my new fan can, my new official fan canon. <laughs> I love it. Wait, but uh, who's coin counter? Oh man, that's one because I definitely would want that to be a queer actor. Right. You need a real fuckboy. <laughs> real good fuckboy for that one. Like, I need like, I need someone with like the fuckboy attitude of like a Robbie Amell, but with like actually being out as, but like actually being out. Um, no, I gotta oh think God, about I was, that one. I was like, wait, now I know who that is. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I agree with you 100%. <laughs> so, kind of thinking about, I, I mean, oh, sorry. I, if there if there's somebody who's queer and also looks openly queer and also looks exactly like Dylan Sprouse, that would be my perfect <laughs> casting. Uh, so kind of thinking about uh, you know, each of these works, which if any are ones you'd like to revisit? Like, is there are there any ones that you want to kind of go back to and add to the story, or do you feel like I've told the story for those ones? I don't have anything right now. Uh, I want to move on and do something different. You know, Heavenly Blues is a book that really pushed me to new heights. So I think getting to do a follow up and go back to that world, I think that'd be a good vehicle to try to push myself again, like to something I haven't done. Like, you know, try to take as big a step forward with a Heavenly Blues, too, as I did with the first Heavenly Blues. And, uh, you know, I uh, I think there's definitely still uh, I think there's more game and goodness to tell with the Renegade Rule Girls. Uh, can I suggest it's uh, called Heavenly Twos? <laughs> I hate myself. No, you can't. <laughs> I hate myself. Uh, all right. Suggestion, suggestion heard, acknowledged, and rejected. Yeah. Got the laughs it deserves. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we want to play a game if you're interested. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Whether it's queer women uh, from Renegade Rule, the queer gangsters from Heavenly Blues, or the queer crew of Griffin. Ben's work centers around uh, the nature of leadership and how chaotic can be at the best and worst of times. So we wanted to get you to review the leadership styles of various fictional characters in a game we're calling, now that's what I call leadership. I'm going to give you a character and I want you to rate their leadership style and then tell us how you would make it more queer. Uh, okay. So does that make sense? Yes. Perfect. So the first it. one is an easy one. Uh, it's Darth Vader, who is a leader of a very successful empire. Uh, he promotes tolerance of religion in the workplace, is a loving father, and is willing to say willing to say no to his superiors when it counts. I think Vader's big problem as a leader, especially in the queer space, is as great as that design is, he's got one outfit. He shows up to work <laughs> every day. It's like, oh, really? A black triangle mask again? How how daring of you this season, Lord Vader? Fucking mix it up. Get some new masks. Maybe bedazzle the cape. I'm just saying a casual Fridays wouldn't help around the around the Death Star. Yeah, I worry so, that he, he would go the Batman route, though, where you start to get you got to come up with a new new costume, new look. And then you start to get weird ones. That you're like, why is it green? Why is he wearing a red Batman, this is ridiculous. Let's just keep with something that's iconic. He he nailed it on the first go. Fashion should have stopped after him. Well, I'm just saying, Vader needs a Met Gala look. That's true. Well, do you have it? So we're talking about a lot of the alpha, but is it with a breathing change or is that the iconic breath? Oh, you can't change the breath. <laughs> Breath's got to stay the same. It's sis. 
<laughs> I mean, look, this is a guy who's like, let's see, leadership style heavy on the physical abuse. And does it get results? No, the Death Star got blown up twice. <laughs> so, uh, I, Vader, I got to give you a B. B for Vader. Uh, <laughs> all right. So next is an, another insanely magical being whose two favorite things are staying in the closet and neglecting children. It's Albus Dumbledore. Oh, man. Albus Dumbledore. He'll sacrifice children like a motherfucker. He don't Loves give a it. shit. Man, Albus Dumbledore loves two things. Fucking not getting laid and sacrificing children. <laughs> and he's all out of not getting laid. <laughs> I mean, it's some real Niles Calder level shit, the games he's playing. But it works. Voldemort gets his ass defeated. He winds up beloved. He gets like a fucking ghost painting. I'm really not sure how that those paintings work. Does those yeah. like are there souls in that painting? Well, like, like do those they... ghost paintings have human rights? Like, imagine being told like you're like, no, no, you don't get you used to have human rights, but now you don't because now you're just a painting. All of your memories are of you having human rights, but now no human rights, you're a painting. But also, what is painting space? Because you can fall from one painting to another. Like, what two-dimensional hell are you trapped in? <laughs> oh, let's see. I mean, let's see. He only gets Snape killed, which, okay, that dude had was due a heroic sacrifice. Fucking Draco gets traumatized, but he needed some trauma. And so, you know, I, I'm going to go, really, Dumbledore's big thing was, was, I just wish he had been more flamboyant while sacrificing children. I wish he had, I wish we'd gotten some, like, camp out of him while mentally fucking up children uh, and to sending them and, like, turning them into voluntarily child soldiers. But other than that, I get <laughs> Needs more camp is what I, I think we are, are really needs fine. more camp, but Dumbledore, I gotta give an A. <laughs> I'm wow, that's that is a 70s police sergeant review. He, he's really destructive, but damn it, he gets yes. results. <laughs> You're a loose cannon, Dumbledore. <laughs> damn it, Dumbledore, you killed 20 kids. I want to know the exact moment he goes from being Jude Law and fucking dapper ass and perfectly right. fitted suits to just like fucking rope day every day. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard is the captain of the USS Enterprise and is somehow able to find problems in a limitless resource society. S, S tier. S tier. S tier leadership, Picard. Uh, he tells Wesley to shut up. He gets Riker to like grow a beard. Like he's doing it for everybody. He tells Troy to buy like he's got Troy there being like just there. She gets to wear fun outfits. Like Picard, like maybe yeah, that's what I appreciate about Picard is that Picard might not wear the fun outfits, but he'll allow others to wear the fun outfits in his stead. He's an ally. That's leadership. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lead yeah, leadership. Ask, what do you need? Not what do I need from you? You take like people try to fuck with Danny. He says like, "Don't you talk to my autistic son?" <laughs> he goes around fucking being like, "I'm gonna sing show tunes and be a sea captain and like the fucking holodeck, <laughs> fucking S tier." All right. So the last one is a famous cult leader who keeps a, a near universally male harem of young men with blue balls. It's Papa Smurf. I was real worried we were going towards Brian Singer. 
Oh, that's the end of the game. Ties it into the X Men. Papa Smurf is also canceled. Oh my I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh boy. All right, look, X Men two. Uh, Oh my gosh. Well, let's move on to something less problematic. We can talk about your book that is coming out. So L. Campbell, yes. their weekend. Um, you know, while we'd be happy to read marketing copy, I'm sure listeners and possible readers would love to hear you directly from you about what L. Campbell's weekend entails and how they'll be winning it. Yes. So L. Campbell is a non-binary seventh grader who wants just one thing. Well, that plus a bunch of other stuff like for the season finale of their favorite show have been better and to figure out how to have cat's eye makeup and how to get bullied less for uh, their new change in their new more feminine change in clothing. Uh, but most of all, what they want is to meet Nori Grena, the openly non-binary star of Phantom Thief, their favorite t- sci-fi heisty TV show in the whole wide world. Uh and Nori is coming to town for a signing at the local bookstore that weekend, but their hopes are dashed when Elle finds themselves stuck in Saturday detention. Uh, but with the help of their two best friends, they hatch a plan to escape detention and trek across town to meet their hero and figure out how they can be more confidently stand up for their non-binary identity. Um, what? Uh... What's the difference between writing books versus writing comics? Like, how did you approach, you know, prose versus... Uh... Holy, it, wild, wild, totally different. It was like, relearn, you know, totally different muscles. I had to relearn everything. You know, you, you talk about how in Phoenix Rising and Heavenly Blues and Griffin, like, there's a certain dialogue style and a certain mm-hmm. rhythm to the humor I have. Like, I had to relearn all of that because turns out my dad, that what now comes so naturally to me in comics well all of a sudden that rhythm now starts getting futzed with when you have like he said they replied yeah. she went over and opened the drawer <laughs> like so it was a total relearning of like but at the same time like i now have this narration this tool like how can i use this as a comedian, as a tool for comedy and clever writing so it was very much a learning process that and you know eventually reaching the important lesson of like what if i make every fucking townsperson weird in this book <laughs> what if just every one-off supporting character is just weird as fuck that's strange like that'd be more like you know what i need there to be a character that explains the rules of laser tag in this uh it'll be a lot more fun if, for me if he talks like hulk hogan <laughs> I love that. listen here sibling welcome to the laser cave <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like you did that because uh, I, I would not to jump back to Renegade Rule, but I, you really nailed the announcer in that one as well. Of just like your every character has their own little like ticks and talks, and that in particular was like, oh, I know at least ten of these gay men that live in DC. The way my the scene that you're talking about the pink suited announcer, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way my fist clenched when that guy comes out and just starts saying, and they'll die. And the janitor's like, no, they're not. Stop it. <laughs> that was partly us just wanting to like, because again, every single thing about every VR story you've ever seen. At some point, it's always like, ah, they're stuck in the game. And if they die in the game, they die in yeah, the yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And no, like, no, we, we just wanted to take the piss out of that. So I'd be yeah. like, no, who the fuck? Why would anyone release a commercial VR if that was even the chance of that yeah, happening? Why, why would I play? Why yeah, like, why I, would anyone play that? I'll play the VR that doesn't kill me. 
So yeah, no, we were so we just kind of wanted to make fun of that trope and signify right off the bat where it's like, hey, we're just going for the sports story. We're not going down that dot hack sign route. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Um, what a no, you talk about um casting people. When we were writing uh the announcer, we were always imagining uh specifically Billy Eichner's voice when uh, we were thinking about yeah, his yeah. lines. Great choice. Yeah. Um okay. Uh so do we want to talk about progressive horrified or we sure do. Yeah. So yes. um we've heard from Jeremy already. Uh how do you normally pitch your podcast? Oh, man, where we take fucking every horror movie under the sun and we hold it to, uh, you know, modern progressive standards, sees how it holds up, what themes it explores, and also just point out every moment that makes you go, wait, what the fuck was that? I have a question because horror is a goddamn weird genre where you can just be a crazy person who takes a bunch of randos out into a Texas forest, abuse them for a month, and then come away with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Are there any uh, episodes that you think are like great key-ins for people if they haven't listened, like, oh, check this one out. And if you like that, you're going to love this podcast. So yeah, so our first episode is uh, Jennifer's Body. But I would, if you want a taste of like kind of what we, what I is like the podcast at its best, in my opinion, is check out any of our coverage of the Scream movies. Mm. Uh, Also check out uh, us talking about the first Resident Evil movie. If you want me losing my goddamn mind over that film. (laughs) It's the most nonsensical fucking film I've ever seen. That movie is insane. Like even as a kid, I'm like, we're going back like, oh, it's so hard to check this, whatever. When I was a kid watching that movie, I was like, this is objectively a horrifically bad movie. <laughs> There's a movie where techno play, where like fucking new metal plays, and then someone karate chops a zombie. <laughs> this is a movie where the plot hinges on a corporation whose security protocol, when there's a security breach, is to immediately give your head of security amnesia. <laughs> My God. I'm also not surprised you referenced a scream episode because I listened to the evil, uh, like from Paramount Plus, the evil recap podcast that you did. And then you just found a way to make it talk about scream. So I was like, oh, I would imagine this must be an ongoing, like, enjoyment. Again, my life went from I have never seen a scream movie to I am now a scream fanatic and like I am so (laughs) deeply invested in this movie. Like in this series. Did you like the newest one? I loved it. I mean, I it gave me all, because I love urban horror. I love okay. like the use of the city in a horror. I think it's a really underexplored setting. Um, I think there's lots of rural horror. And I think ever since Halloween, we've gotten our jollies off of like suburban horror where it's like, hey, white people, the towns you move to get away from <laughs> scary things. But what if there were still scary things and you're fucking awful fake community suburbs you built um i love urban horror so like i felt it made such good use of new york yeah okay central park high rises bodegas the subway i'm like shotguns the only thing it missed was a fucking like like this museum of natural history and ghost faces swinging off of dinosaur bones (laughs) (laughs) does the like the other brontosaurus like slide down Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would, that, I would have, 
I would have gotten up in my seat and applauded. But I will tell you, I got my uh, I, I don't know. I got early tickets. I got like uh, past like an early screening, like a few days before it officially came out. I don't know what this was. I don't know how this screening was set up, but that was like the cultural event of like gay New Yorkers. Oh, yeah. So I went to the Scream 6 setting. It was wall to wall, trendy Manhattan gays. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, by far in my entire life, in the entirety of my existence on this earth, the two biggest applause moments I've ever seen in a movie theater. Captain America picking up Mjolnir in Endgame and Courtney Cox's first appearance in Scream yeah, 6. Exactly. It is, it's big, yeah, my sister and I The theater fucking up. shook. It's so ridiculous. The fanaticism is great. Like, I love being one of them myself. I'm just like, it's, I don't care how bad they'll get as long as they, the fan service is just too good. I'm like, I'm in. This uh, is High camp, dumbass horror is my favorite. Fucking Gail Weathers showed up and was like, don't worry, everyone, the mother's here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, let's get into some matters. It's our final round. We're reaching the final uh, section of our of our interview. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's a fun one. It's a mad about you lightning round. So we are not the show, just about you uh, as a writer. So. Ooh. We've got a couple of things. One, we're going to do some- And we're talking things. about the sitcom, Mad About You. Yeah, exactly. You. Right? This, this is all <laughs> so, about my feelings about the about Mad About You. Cool. <laughs> How's Helen do Hunt doing these days? Yeah, we, keeping up with- we're, a, we're an X-Men slash Mad About You <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, so Which no. X-Men would Paul Reiser have played in the 90s? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, let's start with power ranking. So we're just going to give you, you know, some characters and want you to order them in- Whatever kind of ranking method you think, you can use any any idea you want to figure out who you want in the top and who you would like to see at the bottom. So uh, first up is Lila Griffin, Telica, Elliot Dow, and Seti. It's a killer oh, so, moment. <laughs> so this is my my rankings for yeah. my own characters. Yeah, what gives you the most energy? What are you? Who are you really driven by? Well, I think you got to put Lila at the top. Because they're the fucking insane glue that holds it together. They are the fulcrum around the universe both revolves and burns. Then you gotta have Talica because you need you need the straight man. You need the balancing act. And then Seti is just this fucking like bundle of fish boy innocence that's adorable. <laughs> and then oh, I hate to put Dow last, but Dow is also a kind of like he's a good boyfriend, but he's also kind of a sociopathic science monster. Right. <laughs> Not someone you're definitely going to love going to dinner with, I think. What drove me with Dow is this is a man who is capable of committing nearly any atrocity to further his quest of scientific knowledge and is just as effortlessly able to rationalize why it's not his fault. <laughs> is SETI named after the SETI Institute? Yeah, it was definitely yeah, okay, like SETI. Right. It was definitely like yeah, that kind of like just sciency. Yeah, like SETI, and then yeah, SETI Stella, and then like you know, trying to come up with yeah, no that. Uh, also, I think like SETI was like the name of one of the Star Treks like uh, planets and stuff like that. So that was in my head. I think. Oh wait, no, God, what was it? It's, I think it's the planet that the Star Trek actors are marooned on in the Futurama episode. Oh yeah, that's a great episode. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, let me look up exactly what planet that is. I think that's like. Oh no, it's Omega Three. Never mind. But there's some. Uh, yeah, I, I forget what planet, but I feel I forget the spelling. But the pronunciation I know, SETI, was very much in my head from Star Trek. Mm. And so I, I don't know I, exactly what power ranking is, but I think that you can rank on any metric you want. Yes. Uh. So the next one: Sasha, Jesse, Amanda, and Tanya. Oh man. So if we're going by how good in the game are they at the end of Volume One? I'd got to go Amanda, Jesse, Tanya, Sasha. If we're going for who do I want to party with, it's Jesse, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, uh, Tanya, Amanda. <laughs> Sasha's great to party with for like an hour, but she will ditch you to go hook up with a girl. Yeah, I feel like Amanda would be one who uh, would always refuse to party, but then when she decided to, would break bad and would go way too hard and, like, steal a cop's gun or something. Yeah, Amanda's the one who, like, never drinks, but when she does, you have no idea what the fuck you're in for. Yeah, that's gonna go. Uh, our final power ranking, and I we don't have to go through all the names because Jill does name Moth. It's the cast of Heavenly Blues, so just the, the main five of in the heist. All right, I'd say the ones you the ones you actually most want on your heist crew are in from most to least are Isaiah Jefferson, our ba- our Chicago bank robber, mm-hmm. Amunet, our Egyptian tomb raider, uh Coin Counter, our uh Wild West outlaw, uh, uh Hideki Iwata, our um Hideki Iwata, our uh, blah, 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 talking. Hideki Iwata, our drug-addicted uh, ninja. Ninja skills, very useful. Actively addicted to drugs, not so useful. It's a liability. And, <laughs> yeah. And last, Erin Foley, where, yes, in this book, she has fucking 400 years of experience, but in real life, don't bring fucking tweens into your heist crew. <laughs> Unless you're specifically robbing a middle school, in which case your hands might be tied. <laughs> All right, so this uh, l- really quick, uh, as lightning as possible, name one of your favorites. So all you have to do is just name one of your favorite of whatever we bring up. Uh, all right. Sci-fi or fantasy story? Firefly. I feel like you already named it, but horror story, just to confirm. Uh, Evil Dead 2. Ah. Superhero? Batman. I'm basic. <laughs> Current or all-time comic? Like your favorite. Which oh, one? no, 52. 50, okay. 52. 52. I'm going 52. <laughs> uh, musician or album? Jimi Hendrix. Nice. And what about food item? Chocolate. Love it. This is actually the fastest light. You must have scared uh, because it is the fastest lightning round we ever had, and it sounded like you were on a Family Feud. I'm com- I'm competitive. I'm I'm just very competitive. <laughs> like I literally want to go. Okay, now let's see what hundred the hundred uh, Americans we surveyed. Yeah. What I really hope. What I really hope is that. Ben was just lying about all of those and he just wanted to say an answer fast so that it maintained the lightning. He's like, I hate chocolate. They, they, they hate chocolate. 
In my head, I'm going back. I'm like, ah, is Firefly really my favorite? It was <laughs> a good season. It's why but... we do one of our favorites. Because mm. you ask somebody what the best or their, their absolute favorite is, it's a near impossible. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I definitely like Star Trek and Full Metal Alchemist more. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, sadly, we have come to the end of our interview. Uh, but Ben, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else you'd like to plug while you're here or remind uh, us of uh, some of the stuff that's coming? Yes, I have started a sub stack. Uh, so if you want to, uh, it's a monthly newsletter. I will try not to barrage your inbox, uh, which is kind of uh, news updates, uh, uh, upcoming books, upcoming signings and appearances. Uh, so yeah, check that out at bencon.substack.com. It's uh, pros and con. And, you know, you can find uh, copies of all my books at uh, BenConComics.com and please pre-order L. Campbell wins their weekend out October 17th from Scholastic. Amazing. And as for us, we're on Twitter at Homo Superior X and on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. If there are other great writers, artists, and all things nerd culturistas you'd like to hear us chat with, make sure to slide into our DMs. We've been Homo Superior. Thank you to Ben and thank you for listening. Bye, little homos. Bye.